Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! <laughs> Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. Today, let's turn the calendar back to the 1970s. The days when the Carpenters were releasing hits like We've Only Just Begun and Close to You. There were also the days when we weren't on our phones, but instead were out playing pinball. You can experience those days again here in Las Vegas. Today, you'll meet the stars of a great Carpenters tribute show, which is playing Tuesdays and Wednesdays in Town Square. Later, you'll meet the proprietor of the Pinball Hall of Fame, where you can not only see hundreds of classic pinball machines, but you can play them as well. Don't you remember you told me I love you, baby? You said you'd be coming back this way again, baby. Baby, 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 oh. We're seeing shows again in Vegas. We love it and some great tribute shows. And one of the very best and one that you don't hear a lot of is for the Carpenters. And we've got two great people, Sally Olson and Ned Mills as Karen and Richard Carpenter. They're both with us today and we're going to talk about it. They're doing a six-week residency, so you want to get your tickets as soon as you can. It'll start next weekend and it'll run for the next six weeks, Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 7 o'clock over at Stoney's Rockin' Country in Town Square, which is a great locale. Well, I got to ask you guys. First of all, Sally, you guys look like the Carpenters, and you sound like the Carpenters. What made you decide to do that? Because Karen Carpenter sometimes scares people because she was such a great singer and stuff, played the drums and so forth, and yet you guys went for it. How did you decide to go and do this tribute act to the Carpenters? Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, people can get very intimidated by trying to fill Karen Carpenter's shoes because she was just such a huge talent. For me, this all kind of came together really as um, a happy accident back about uh, six six or seven years ago. Um, I'm from Vermont, so we're talking back in Vermont um, in around 2014. I had been training professionally as a singer, and I got to the point that I wanted to put together a one-woman show. And I, at that point, I had no idea of what I wanted to do, except that I was always very much... Um, into the music of the 60s and 70s all through my childhood and high school, um, even to the point where I was only listening to oldies, radio stations, and wearing only vintage clothing. <laughs> um, so when I started reading through music and kind of brainstorming about what the show would be, um, in, in pretty short order, I started looking through Carpenter's songbooks, and I quickly realized that it was a great fit vocally because I have the same vocal range is Karen and just also her as a person and her story and just, and just the, how prolific she and Richard were and their wonderful library of music. I, I quickly determined that that's what I wanted to be for the show. And it was really meant to just be a one-time thing. Um, and then when I debuted it in January of 2015, I had so much fun doing it that I just wanted to keep on doing it. And things evolved over the years. And by the spring of 
2017, I brought it to the Triad Theater in New York City, and it, it got a bit of attention there, and particularly one person who came to the show, he said he had, he had some ideas and he'd be in touch, and lo and behold, a couple months later, he got in touch with me, and um, he said that he had a childhood friend living out here in Vegas, and she, she's a former showgirl, and so he connected me with her. And their idea was to get me to come out to Vegas, audition for Legends in Concert, which I ultimately did, and now I also perform with Legends in Concert. Um, so I came out to Vegas in January of 2018, and this mutual friend um, scheduled me to sit in with various pianists. And Ned was the first one, and he was also the last one, so kind of the rest <laughs> was history. But <laughs> I was rethinking the show, and I was at the point where I like, well, I need somebody to play the role of Richard, because it wasn't just Karen, it was the Carpenters. So... Ned was totally on board with the project, and and that's how it all got started. Well, Ned, I want to ask you, because Richard Carpenter is an interesting character. On the one hand, you figure Karen's the star. There's no question about it. But he was important, and he played a big part in that. And I would think that if people are going to go out and see a tribute act, they're going to kind of demand Richard Carpenter. So did you do, like, some research on this guy? Because, again... I always remember him with that, ah, you know, he had that particular uh, thing in the back that was kind of standard through all their songs, and he was a good piano player, so did you do some of that to try to get whatever his persona was in that duo? Yeah, I, originally, uh, when Sally and I first met, I only had like a basic, you know, layman's knowledge of the Carpenters. Everybody knows Close to You and We've Only Just Begun and all the big hits, and I knew he played piano and I knew he had somewhat of a jazz background, but boy, was did I not realize what I was getting into because he's one of the probably one of the most underappreciated uh, jazz pianists, uh, composers, arrangers of the 20th century. Um, I mean, everyone knows Richard Carpenter. Of course, he's gotten his credit, but not nearly to the extent that he really deserved. He was a phenomenal pianist. He was a prodigy, a child prodigy. In fact, his parents originally the first time because richard um sally how much older is richard than uh karen was two or three years older right uh three and about three and a half to four years I yeah think. three and a half he was born so, in 1950 so he was born in 46 yeah 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 so the the original talented child in the family was richard and they were pushing his talent before they even before karen came into the picture and so um once we got the show going, and my degree is in arranging. I, I got a bachelor's degree in music, and I, I went to North Texas State University and studied jazz and, and that sort of thing, which I definitely came in uh, handy for this because I had to arrange a lot of the music for the show. And a lot of the stuff we do was never published. So, for example, there's this moment where uh, Richard plays his Bach Invention while Karen sings from this moment on. It never got published, so not only did I have, have to learn it, uh, which is uh, not easy to play, I had to figure out what he was playing, transcribe it, and then, <laughs> then learn it. So, yeah, there's classical features in there that, that Richard did. And, of course, you know, those rich harmonies, those signature Carpenter beautiful harmonies. And, uh, yeah, I really, really had some big shoes to fill. I still have the most utmost respect for him. He is now, I believe he's about 75 years old now. And, um, no, I, ultimately he really is, if there, if it was not for Richard, the Carpenters would definitely have not been 
what it is known for now, just Karen by herself. He deserves equally just as much a credit as, as Karen did in their well, musical legacy. Well, that's great because I think that is an important part of this. And, you know, a couple of questions uh, for you, Sally. As Karen, first of all, you played mm-hmm. the drums. Was that something you always did? Well, I I actually did not play the drums until I started uh, doing this show. Um, I it, Going back to Vermont, it was, in the, in the early years of doing this show that I uh, that I started thinking ahead and brainstorming on where I saw the show going. And I'm glad I, I did because I started taking drum lessons um, several years ago. Um, and even though I wasn't playing the drums in the show at that point when I was still in Vermont, I, I knew that that was something I wanted to eventually incorporate into the show. So I started, so I started taking drum lessons, yeah. Back with more from Sally Olson and Ned Mills from the Carpenters Tribute Concert, a recreation of the 1976 concert, which is appearing at Stoney's Rockin' Country for a six-weeks residency with performances on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Just a reminder, please visit Vegas Never Sleeps online. For the very best in Vegas, it's VegasNeverSleeps.com. And for great sports, it's SportsRax, R-A-C-X, which is available on radio stations nationwide and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports R-A-C-X. Later today on Sports Rockin' Tours, you'll meet Hall of Fame linebacker Dave Robinson of the Green Bay Packers, who will discuss his incredible career. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. If you love great sound, you'll love Oontz speakers. Oontz has been making great speakers for over 30 years, and now they've developed these cost-effective, great-sounding Bluetooth speakers. Meet Troy, one of the idea guys. Hey, Troy, how can I get these? With two-day free shipping, go to theoontz.com, T-H-E-O-O-N-T-Z.com. Be seen, be heard. Go to theoontz.com. That's T-H-E-O-O-N-T-Z.com. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com. 
Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Sally Olson and Ned Mills from the Carpenter's Tribute Concert, a recreation of the 1976 concert. Just like me, they long to be close to you. Well, you guys take this really seriously in the sense that to get it just right, I know people talk about kind of the spot-on vocals. Ned just talked about the arrangement and so forth. One of the things you do, too, is, and you, of course, you, you mentioned that you dress that way. You've dressed that way for a long time. But I'm kind of curious about the dialogue because everybody knows the Karen Carpenter story is kind of sad. And some of the songs she sang were that way. Did that involve watching a lot of film and that kind of thing to kind of get a feel for it? Because she had a unique style. I mean, not only was that a beautiful voice, but it was presented in a sort of way people can recognize that, whether it's Christmas songs or uh, the regular songs on the soft rock music station. You can pick up Karen Carpenter right away. Yeah, that, that's true. She her, her voice is so unique that as soon as you hear the first note, you know it's Karen. Um, she had that kind of voice quality. It's very intimate. And a lot of people describe it as being velvety, but it is that quality of like she's whispering in your ear and that she's singing just for you. So yeah, definitely. Um, that, that's a, a very important um, kind of iconic feature of Karen's voice um, and, and definitely something that I emulate when I perform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing you guys do, which is kind of cool, is you do it with a more like a lean and mean uh, background group. you got five performers, and from what I understand, most Carpenter tributes, they a lot of orchestra and so forth, but I think that just puts the pressure on you two. Ned, was that sort of the idea that we can do this and we want to keep the highest production value and make this, of course, cost-effective because it has to to go around the country and do this all over? You, you hit the nail right on the head, yeah, uh, because obviously we don't have – $100,000 budgets, you know, and can bring a full orchestra with us. Or even when they did the UK tour, although, of course, they had their nucleus of their uh, backup musicians, there's a moment where the curtain opens and, oh, my God, there's a full orchestra back there. <laughs> you know, we're not in a position to do that. So um, but I, I found ways to, you know, make it a lean operation, to, to make it palatable and affordable that um, we can perform in any venue. Uh, Sally and I have even done very intimate spaces where it's just me and Sally. Uh, we recently did that at the Italian American club, uh, a couple of months ago. And, um, you know, we, we have a, a couple of things where we do that as well. And in, in a way, I think it's even, uh, more flattering or fulfilling when it's just me and her and, and we still get a really nice standing ovation or, you know, at the end of the show where I get one after my classical feature, I do Gershwin's Rhapsody in blue, and um, so it's it's really we really get a kick out of that too. So, um, but yeah, we also have we have really talented musicians here locally. We have uh, John Plows is our drummer who we take everywhere. Uh, we have Matt guitar uh, Matt Baldoni on guitar, who also performs with the Australian Bee Gees, and we have uh, Jim Dorigo on saxophone, clarinet, and flute. And then if we do have to travel extensively, we take our drummer with us, and we have a roster of talent throughout the country that we also have performed with us. I want to ask both of you this, so I'll I'll start with you, uh, Sally, first. But as I think of the Carpenters, okay, I remember when I was I was very young when they were popular, and a lot of us cool kids didn't want anything to do with that. We were listening to the leftover Beatles stuff and the Rolling Stones and all that stuff. But as you get older, it's not that you don't like that other stuff, but 
their music sort of creeps in, and you hear it over and over and over a lifetime. You know, they got that great Christmas music that's always part of uh, of the of the tape that is playing in the background. It seems, and it's it's part of your it's almost part of your life when you uh, have it in the background. Whether you're shopping, is of that music. While I would call it soft rock, appeals to a large group of, of folks. Does that put kind of extra pressure? You guys have to be really uh, tight with this stuff because people have heard it so often, and uh, now that they don't, you know, Karen, of course, passed, and of course they're not doing this stuff. There's not as much leeway for you to get close. You have to hit it right on the nail on the head. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly true. Um, I guess for me, it's not it's not as difficult as one might think, just because I I think I'm naturally lucky to have that you know, same voice quality as Karen. Um, so when I'm up there and I just, I just open my mouth and sing, what comes out is what's natural for me. And it just so happens to be in line with how Karen sang. Um, in terms of the only things that I really had to adjust was just paying really close attention to her phrasing and some of uh, the way, some of how she pronounced certain words to give it that extra little Karen-esque, you know, uh, yeah. flair. Um, but but by and large, um, it, it was just already there for me. So so yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. Otherwise, yeah, it's like it. I could see where, for a lot of people, it would be very difficult. Well, Ned, as uh, playing the Richard Carpenter part, you kind of have all that other stuff to worry about, right? Because he was a, as I understand it, he was kind of a perfectionist with the way the sound is, and it has to <coughs> it has to be perfect and so forth. And there you are playing that role. Yeah, and and beyond the role of playing the piano on the stage, it's interesting the parallels of what I have to do behind the scenes that Richard also did, you know, because I serve as music director of the show. Um, I am the technical director of the show. Um, In fact, it's actually today I'm preparing to – I drop the stage stage plots, the microphone input lists. uh, I book the musicians. um, I handle the technical aspects of the show. I communicate with the sound guy. Um, and, um, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff. It's a lot of people don't realize that, you know, Richard, uh, was the one who personally selected every song. He knew how to pull the, to get the most out of Karen's voice that he possibly could, you know, choosing the keys, taking advantage of that beautiful alto voice Karen had, you know, uh, the harmonies, uh, the studio thing. They weren't just like some smiley, you know, pop duo that just, did their stuff and everyone else handled all the stuff. No, it was, it was a lot of it was on Richard's shoulders. And that's why even to this day, we had the honor of um, uh, seeing uh, Herb Alpert perform at the Smith center a couple of years ago. And he talks, you know, a lot about the carpenters because that was a big chapter in his life. And so, yeah, the, the behind the scenes stuff is just as important and something that Sally and I both come to realization as well in a way, we've done this now so much in the, just a short two, two and a half years we've been performing this show that it's becoming second nature. I'm, I'm new to it. Of course, Sally's been doing it much longer than me, so I had catching up to do. But that part's second nature, and that's kind of our reward for the hard work leading up to it. The music is really, in a way, it's the easy part. It's the fun part of the show. Would you say that, Sally? It's like Yeah, that's, that's when we get... That's when we get to have fun and play. <laughs> That's the yeah. reward. And people Absolutely. don't know, like, if we have, like, for example, I think it's Sony's, if, you know, curtain opens at 7 o'clock, leading up to all that hard work before the first note hits and all the preparation and the rehearsals and, you know, and, and all of that stuff, 
the the easiest part for us is sitting the fun part is sitting down and making the music more with sally olson and ned mills from the carpenters tribute concert a recreation of the 1976 concert in just a few moments the show celebrates the music and legacy of the famed brother-sister duo featuring the carpenters hit songs Karen's drum solo, Richard's classical piano feature, a Spike Jones parody of Close to You, and more. Don't forget to follow Sports Rock and Tours, which now follows this show on most of these stations. You can also visit Sports RACX wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi nationwide on the Talk Media Network. Hey, I'm Paul Shortino, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Rock on. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. We are chatting with Sally Olson and Ned Mills from the Carpenters Tribute Concert, a recreation of the 1976 concert, which features a powerful live band, historical commentary and video, taking audiences on an incredible journey down memory lane into the world of the Carpenters. He's got a ticket to ride, and he don't care. Well, let me ask you a question then. You're having fun with it. You do sound like them. There's no question. And as you get more into this, and you'll be doing this for a long time, you ever hear a song that's popular either either in the past or one currently that you think, wow, what could the Carpenters do with that? You ever think about trying something like that? I mean, it's kind of hard because everybody wants to hear what they did, and, and we all get that. But you ever tempted to do something like that? We. We've had discussions about this actually mm-hmm. multiple times. Of uh, we have some friends who are talented songwriters, you know, and say, "Hey, wouldn't it be cool if of that?" Or we say, "Yeah, if if Karen was still with us today, what would she be doing? What would she be singing?" You know, and we do have in the works um, a recording project uh, of taking uh, some of their hits, and uh, one of them in particular. Uh, we're going to take it and give it a complete fresh coat of paint, and and Sally's going to be singing it in English and in Spanish, mm. and and giving it like a, a little bit of a, a beautiful Latin flavor to it, just to give it something a little interesting. I mean, if they want to hear Carpenters, of course, you know they can buy their albums, right. but <laughs> what could we do to kind of give our own little spin on it? So yeah, that that's definitely on the table. Yeah, right. but that- at the same time, it still has that. It still has that iconic carpenter's sound, even with the, even with yeah, this the sound, know, the, reinvention yeah, of it. Exactly the harmonies. You you have to have that too. You know, I mean, if if you have, if there and some of the things that I've I've put together, it, it can be four part harmony or five part harmony, and there's a lot of work, you know, involved in in developing that sound, and you know, so yeah. um, definitely the jazz influence is really big with the carpenters. Well, it's real exciting. We're looking forward to this. We can't wait. It's great to have great music back on the strip and around town and so forth, so we're excited. Are you planning the Christmas tour again? Because, of course, you do a regular Christmas uh, tribute concert, which is a great fit with what you do during the rest of the year. Are you planning to do one this year, or have have you even thought of that? 
Well, we, there there have been some discussions of some things um, uh, in in regards to that. Uh, what we did before was uh, th- a lot of people realized the Carpenters never toured with their uh, Christmas show, and so we took the Christmas specials from their. Uh, what was it, Sally? 1977 and 78. Yeah, 1977 and 78. And this was kind of this was an idea that I had um, about a year before I met Ned, and I had the opportunity to put together a Carpenter's Christmas show, kind of on the fly. And um, I was at the time doing some shows with a dinner theater out in Ohio, and they're like, "Well, they'd have me out for my main Carpenter's show." And they're like, "Do you have a Christmas show?" I'm like, "Well, I was planning on it, so I put it together." And like Ned said, it's based on their two Christmas TV specials. And then, of course, when I, you know, met Ned and we did the the revamp of the main show, and then we, then we um, did did an overhaul of the Christmas show. So, yes, once again, it's it's the two Christmas TV specials, and and just like our main show, I I meticulously um, scripted it from what you hear Karen and Richard saying in the TV specials. And I had a lot of fun too, since. Um I'm also the, kind of the prop designer for the show. Sally is, has a big hand in the costumes and that sort of thing. And so I designed this, you know, I have this high-tech Christmas tree that can set up in about 30 seconds. <laughs> the stockings hung by the chimney with care. <laughs> and, and there's, and there's the, lots and of video projections, together. too. This is yeah, great stuff. Yeah, there sure is. And, and in that one, we have a vintage, because it's based on the TV specials, we brought back a lot of those classic uh, TV commercials that people see. It was done on what was it, Sally? ABC, I believe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they did uh, all their we, TV we bring back, on ABC. Yeah, and when we did the show in Texas last year, it, we we really got a kick out of hearing the audience sing along. It's been forty, fifty years, and they're all singing. My baloney has a first name. <laughs> <laughs> singing, then with the commercials, you know, and Kodak, the time of your life, and. So we went back and recreated that too. So although that, that to make more people feel more like rather than sitting in the audience, they're like sitting in their living room watching the, the special on their on their, their big TV set. That's great. You know, they go <laughs> back to the, tw- the twentieth century, and you know that music does get in your head. Let's face it. As you were saying, both of those, I could hear them right going on. So I understand that. This is really exciting. So it's yeah. you, you got to get out there and see this. They're going to be there for six weeks. Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at Stoney's Rockin' Country over in Town Square, which is a great place to watch concerts. Sally, if we want to f- learn more about that, you have a place online we can go and uh, and follow you guys as you uh, develop this even further and maybe get ready for the Christmas season in a few months? Yeah, absolutely. Um, people can check out our website, and that's uh, www.carpenterstributeconcert.com. Of course, it's Carpenters, plural, with an S. We're also um, on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, all of the major social media platforms, and you can find links to those on, on our website and well, YouTube. So We will do that. I think YouTube is a great go. In case you're wondering how good this is, go watch something there, and it's even better in person. Thank you. Best of luck for the six weeks, and we hope to see you around again in Vegas. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and and we really want to thank you for everything you do to help uh, promote the entertainment community, and we're really excited about getting back to normal. 
Another memory from the 70s is the love of pinball, and you can experience that at the Pinball Hall of Fame, which now has a new location at 4925 Las Vegas Boulevard South. Well, before the days of video games and smartphones and such, there was pinball. And I know when I was in the 1970s and high school and so forth, pinball was a big deal. And I don't think about it much anymore, but a lot of friends that I have still talk about the great times at the pinball parlor playing and so forth. And there's a place in Las Vegas, believe it or not, that has a ton of pinball machines and you can relive that past. And, you know, I was questioned a little about it and I started asking some people I know about it and they say it's one of the best museums in town so with that we've got uh, the owner Tim Arnold with us today Tim welcome to the show uh is pinball just something you loved from the days you were a kid uh yeah I started off playing it when I was like you said in junior high school high school and then uh, I actually bought a machine from the guy that uh owned the pizza parlor and then I kind of bought another one and kept buying them and pretty soon I had a whole bunch of them and then opened up a pinball arcade in 76 and ran that through 1990 and then um, I was getting to the point where we were we were saving all our old machines because the distributors didn't want them back so we were stacking them up in a warehouse and I thought it'd be kind of neat if I uh, opened up a museum with all these old machines so I thought about it for a while and decided that Las Vegas was the perfect place for it because it's warm and dry, and there's a lot of tourists here. So I loaded everything from Michigan, put it on trucks, and drove it out here, and uh, spent some time getting ready, and then opened up this pinball museum. It's an incredible place, folks. Tim, how many machines do you have? And they're all yours, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Well, there's a couple other collectors that have thrown a couple things in, too. But, yeah, it's uh, mostly me. Uh, it's set up like a supermarket where you walk in and there's aisles. There's the 60s aisle and the 90s aisle and the brand-new games up front. And, um, it's, it's one of the few things in Las Vegas you can do without paying for parking or paying an admission. We're very proud of the fact that you drive in free and walk in free. More with Tim Arnold, a veteran arcade operator who made it big in the 1970s and 80s during the Pac-Man era in just a moment. Make sure to listen to Sports Rockin' Tours, which follows Vegas Never Sleeps in most markets. If your station doesn't carry it, call them and ask them to carry Sports Rockin' Tours. In the meantime, though, go to Sports R-A-C-X wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports R-A-C-X. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchie, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. 
Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com. Now, let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps. You are listening to Tim Arnold, proprietor of the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. As I research this thing, Tim, people have a blast there because you can go and and this is a place where you can actually play with the museum artifacts. I mean, normally speaking, you know, you can't touch anything. Here's a place where you can actually get in there, can't you? Yeah, we've tried to make it as much like the arcade experience from the 70s and 80s as is possible. Now, the games don't all cost a quarter. Half our games still do cost a quarter, but some of the newer pinballs cost more than that because they cost us seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars to buy, and we can't sell that product for a quarter anymore. Right. And uh, other than that, though, it's it's the same experience you remember. We like to say it's just a big dark room full of pinballs which is what people remember. Now, there is, there's been a couple changes. Of course, there's no smoking anymore. People used to smoke everywhere, but they can't yeah. do that now. And we've got a soft drink machine in the corner, and we've got... Uh, we also use real coins, not swipe cards. Everybody that's going yeah, right. to, to arcades now, they have to buy some funky little swipe card. And it's just not the same. You've got to take a real 25-cent coin out of your pocket and put it in the coin slot... Otherwise, it isn't real to you. You know what I love about it, Tim, is it reminds me of the movie Santa Claus. I think it was actually Santa Claus, the second one with Tim Allen, where he goes to a place and he just starts giving away toys from kids past. And the minute they get it, it, that feeling comes back. And I think pinball is one of those kind of things where, you know, if you were around in the 70s and 80s and played that, you might not have played in 20, 30 years. But the minute you get back there, it all comes back to you. Yep. We get uh, we call it the nostalgia lockup where they'll be walking down an aisle full of pinballs and they'll see a game that they haven't seen in 30, 35 years. And they look at it, they just stop dead and they freeze up and they go, ah, ah, I remember, I remember that game. The first time I kissed a girl, I was playing that game. <laughs> Isn't that great? And it, it all comes back to them. And you know, the other thing, uh, the question obviously is why a pinball hall of fame, but it actually makes a lot of sense because it's kind of a, another way, just like the, the Neon Museum is, it's another way to go through and really see our culture because these things, uh, as I recall, uh, you know, you'd have the Happy Days one and stuff. You can kind of relive what was popular at the time in the second half of the 20th century till now. Right, and you can also date the machines if you look at the art on the back glass. Uh, the games from the, the, the 50s, all the men are wearing hats and all the women have a string of pearls and they're wearing long dresses and then the 60s happen and all of a sudden everybody's in vinyl go-go boots and mini skirts and, and guys have groovy neckerchiefs and <laughs> stuff like that. And then the 80s hit, and of course you've got war in space. You know, you got aliens everywhere, and it's yeah. uh, absolutely a, a trip back through time. Kind of talk to, talk to us about that from like the 50s, where you started there through. Did the games get more complicated and stuff? Because everybody, you know, you, you say pinball, and immediately you picture this big thing, or you got the two flappers on the side. Did they get more involved and so forth as the years went on? 
Yeah, the players demanded a, a different, newer experience. You're not going to play what your dad played. It's, you know, you're a young male, and that's who mainly plays pinball is young males. Uh, you, you rejected your dad's stuff, and you wanted something new and different. And as the games have evolved and electronics have become cheaper and more sophisticated, uh, all of a sudden the games have more complicated rules, and they have multiple levels, and they have ramps, and they have flying ball magnets and all sorts of Superman, Batman jazz all over them. Um, I'm a purist. I like what I grew up with. So if I have time, I play the games from the 60s and 70s I grew up with. But uh, that's the cool thing about us is we got a little bit of everything. What does it sound like in there? I mean, I can just imagine all this, you know, ping, ping and all that. It's probably a, a really a whole nostalgic thing. And it really brings the flavor of the place in. There's, there's the sound and there's also the smell because there's a, a, a certain smell to older electronics as they degenerate. They put off a, a, a tangy sort of smell, which is actually the Bakelite spacers off-gassing, and you get, it's actually formaldehyde. So you get this tangy, nostalgia smell that you get you know, from a room of old radios. And yeah. people come in here, this place even smells like the arcade used to. <laughs> You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps, and we're speaking to Tim Arnold of the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. i got to ask you, I've been wanting to ask you this since we set up this interview a while ago. My best friend and I used to play it. He was really into it. I was a once-in-a-while guy, but always enjoyed it. But he knew how to just push the thing where you didn't tilt it and stuff. Is that something that's gone through the whole thing of, of pinball machines, or do they start getting closer to that? Where actually, part of it was to see what you could push without tilting the machine. Ah, this is what makes it a great game, is the risk-reward ratio. It, if you take a chance and you shake the game, you could lose by tilting it, but you could also save your ball and continue to play. This is why pinball is a great game and always will be, and why video games are stupid little games for babies, <laughs> because you can't control the right. little blip on the screen. If, if you get really good at pinball, you can tell the ball where to go. You know, this is a great thing, too, for somebody that is into either video poker or just, just the slots and so forth. You know, and they're playing for a while, and it's not happening for them, and they need a break. But they can, just go in there and do a little. You know, you, got, you have some skill involved, and you can get kind of some of that kind of excitement, you know. It's a, you know and you can do it so inexpensively. It's really a wonderful thing for Las Vegas. Yeah, it is, because you go into the casinos, and the one thing you notice is it's kind of like a funeral home. Nobody's yelling, screaming, having fun, going whoop, 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 <laughs> and they're just sitting there poking a button. You don't even pull the handle anymore. You just yeah. poke a button, and some video screen spins around or something. And then you come in here, and people are standing up. They're bumping into each other. They're, they're yelling and screaming, yay, wow, go, yeah, and stuff like that. And it's just... It's the sound of people having fun when you walk in here. Yeah, it's a great throwback. And I imagine there's some people that maybe after the experience, you know, of course, if you're a local, you can go in there anytime you want. But if you're not, have you ever had somebody go, where can I buy one of these things? Oh, yeah. But I don't recommend that people buy a pinball machine for their house. It's like the most high-maintenance woman you've ever had times <laughs> 10. It's it just they need constant fiddling to keep them going. The, the designers weren't stupid. They made the games, designed them to run about five years and then fall over dead, so you had to buy a new one. 
Now, you can trick them into working a little longer, but it takes a lot of effort. And the other thing about owning your own pinball machine is you don't realize this. You're used to a TV where you turn it on and there's a different program every day. You turn on your pinball machine, it's the same game you played yesterday. And you're going to play it like crazy for about six months, and then you're going to use it to fold your laundry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's so much fun of going to a place like yours. And, you know, you could go, you know, if you're a regular Vegas person that comes out three, four times a year, you could every time go there, play something different. You could even, you know, change decades and so forth. I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't, certainly can't do that at home. No, no. We get, we get people flying in from all over the world specifically to come here. Uh, pinball is huge in Europe and in South America. Uh, I'm, I'm worshipped as a god in Europe. And there's, there's people that have their weddings here. Um, it's, it's people that, that line up and take selfies all day long in front of our sign. Um, it's, it's grown well beyond what the original intent was, which is just a place for me and my buddies to hang out and play pinball. Well, thank you so much for doing that. One last question, though, Tim. Favorites. Are there any particular ones that, you know, there's the line for something that people really or they specifically request maybe by decade? Do you have any particular favorites that people just can't uh, can't get enough of? Well, we've got some totally unique games that were factory prototypes that were designed by the design department but then never sent down to be produced. And we ended up with, you know, the, the one-off hand-built one-of-a-kind machines that that you can't play anywhere else it's like a movie that was 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 done but then they never released it now you can come and see it yeah. so yeah we've got some uh, really unique things here um uh we're one of the top rated tourist attractions on yelp and TripAdvisor. Uh, it's, it's simply unique anywhere in the world, and you've got to see it. Well, let's do that. It's pinballmuseum.org, and we've got a 360-degree moving tour. You can, you can actually walk through the museum and, and take a look at all the machines. We're open every day of the year from 11 a.m. till 11 p.m. I am going to be there, Tim. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Make sure to visit the Pinball Hall of Fame at its new location at 4925 Las Vegas Boulevard South. It's open seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Coming up next is Sports Rock and Tours. If your local station doesn't carry it, go to Sports RACX wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports RACX is short for Sports Rock and Tours. And please follow both Vegas Never Sleeps and Sports Rockin' Tours on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Vegas, here we go!